A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, that was a little bit different, wasn't it? Anyway, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us to our audience on the Loving Liberty Radio Network, our audience on KTalk 1640. And, of course, everybody out there in the podcast sphere, which it turns out is uh, is a thing. <laughs> thank goodness. What an amazing way to uh, to get to connect. And, and, and thank you for, of all the different ways you can use your time, thanks for being part of this audience. I My solemn promise to you is I'm going to do everything I can to make it worth your while. Some fun topics to cover today. If you have ever worried that nobody really cares enough to keep track of you, take heart. Your iPhone is creating a map of every place you've been and storing that record for up to a year. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but uh, wow. I don't know if you have followed. There's been a very intriguing story out of eastern Idaho. Chad Daybell, who was uh, kind of a noted uh, publisher of, uh, of LDS books, he and Lori Vallow have been under scrutiny for some months now, ever since uh, two of Lori Vallow's children disappeared and it w- were presumed, you know, to, to have, uh, well, really disappeared. Like, what, what has somebody done to them? And apparently their remains were found on Chad Daybell's property near Rexburg, Idaho. And it's interesting, one of the ways in which the, the remains were found was authorities were able to go back to cell phone records, location tracing, and trace not only Chad, but also uh, Lori Vallow, also her brother, who mysteriously died back in December. So, I guess I'm not suggesting you, so if you want to get away with a crime, go with something other than an iPhone. No, that's, that's not the point. The point is, every place you've been can be reconstructed very, very easily. Maybe it was always so, but uh, the article that I saw from, uh, this is from, I think it's the, the U.S. Sun, it's pretty sobering. Maybe we will start with this, just so you can have something to kind of kind of make you look with a little suspicion at your smartphone. By the way, if you're listening to us on your smartphone, what can I tell you? Just understand there are some risks. The article here says your iPhone keeps track of your real-world movements, which you can view on a map. Now, interestingly enough, a good friend of mine, one of the, the people who has been absolutely instrumental in helping to uh, to build and, and help us keep the Loving Liberty Radio Network running. Uh, he loves to ride motorcycle. He and his wife went for a motorcycle ride last night, and he posted this incredible video. It's a virtual map, and it looks like Google Maps from above, tracking where they went. Tracks the time, tracks their speed. There was even a part in there where he had to go back and get his wallet because he didn't have his wallet when they left the house. I mean, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen, but maybe I just run a little bit to the suspicious when I think, okay, who is looking at that going, hey, I could use this in a way that would enhance my knowledge of and therefore my power over everybody who's carrying a phone or using this particular app. 
See, that's the kind of stuff that makes me just a little bit nervous. And, of course, in a time of contact tracing where everybody has to be so careful about where they've been, who they've come in contact with, you know, because of COVID-19, I think this is, this is a pretty ripe opportunity for abuse. So the article, which I will have posted in the show notes, you can check them out at lovingliberty.net. What is iPhone significant locations? It's in your phone. It has a feature called location services, and that uses your location to improve various features on the device. Now, this includes a little aspect called significant locations, which it turns out is a rolling log of your real world movements, which are then used to offer other services. So, for instance, if I if your iPhone knows about your daily commute, then it can provide tailored timing information about your journey. Apple explains it allows your iPhone to learn significant or places significant to you in order to provide more useful location-related information in maps, calendar, photos, and more. But the question arises, is it safe? I mean, a lot of people might be panicking right now thinking, is Apple keeping a log of our every move? But that's not really quite the case. According to Apple, significant locations are encrypted, and cannot be read by Apple. So what that means is the location info is stored on your iPhone and is encrypted and disassociated from you if it needs to leave the device. No outsiders can see your significant locations. They're not accessible through iCloud either. But obviously that information is still very much in some way stored. Hence the authorities up in southeast Idaho figuring out where to dig for the remains of these kids based on how long Lori Vallow's brother, or his cell phone more, pre- more uh, precisely, was at a specific location, and when. By the way, it says, even if a pal is using your iPhone, they can't get into significant locations without first getting past a Face ID or Touch ID lock first. But the article says, if you're worried that a spouse might sneak their way onto your iPhone and catch you at the pub when you were supposed to be at work... It might be worth deactivating the system or clearing your history at the very least. And they actually explain how to do that. They say it's also worth mentioning that significant locations is opt-in, although you probably never you, you, you probably never knew that. And that's because it turns on the moment you activate location services during your iPhone setup. But it's buried under several layers of settings, so most people just don't have any clue that it exists. And the location data tracks back about a year. So you may find it interesting, maybe not. I'm inclined to go in and and turn it off. Just because, uh, frankly, I think my family loves me enough and cares enough about my whereabouts. I'd prefer that they be the primary ones concerned with that. And any other third party, be it government or Apple or just, you know, somebody else who may be interested. Thanks, but I think we've got it covered. Hopefully that doesn't sound too paranoid, but... Like the Rockwell song from back in the 80s. I always feel like somebody's watching me. And if Edward Snowden can be trusted, and I think he can, the answer is probably yes. All right, moving on. By the way, lines are open 801-331-8113 if you'd like to join the conversation. You're hearing a lot about wokeness, the woke mob. You're seeing violence in the name of, you know, there's never going to be any peace until uh, until we get justice. And this is... The social justice mob's war cry is, you know, to become woke. 
aware of what's going on, the injustices, how how horrific and how, how racist America really is and always was, and how everything that came before us apparently was wrong. And it's not just chanting and, you know, sit-ins and protests and waving banners and, and so forth. We're actually seeing things that, uh, that are very disturbing. Violence, unrest, destruction of property, destruction of, his, of historical statues and monuments. I got this article off of Lou Rockwell this morning, lourockwell.com. And it's a letter from a friend or an email from a friend who wrote him about how the first casualty in woke is truth. Listen to this. It says, Lou, good morning. The subject line of this email should help people to clearly see where this woke movement is designed to take the country with the full support of the media and major corporations. The sides have already been established and the first die has been cast to bring the effort out into the streets. The establishment and their woke disciples are waging war against the rest of America. Now, it hasn't evolved yet to gun battles over territory and militarized operations or occupations, rather. But all of the other aspects of war are currently in play. The goal is to provoke a response by liberty oriented Americans that can be characterized around the world as the violence of the extreme right wing racist Americans who oppose the woke ideology. Every use of force in response to this cultural revolution will be characterized in the nations of the world as examples of the racist and evil nature of racist American patriots, while the crimes of the woke are overlooked or justified. In that regard, the woke perspective will be fed to the world as liberty-oriented Americans fight to maintain freedom and constitutional government. If or when the liberty-minded Americans suppress the woke revolution, America will be cemented among world opinion as a racist right-wing state. At that point, the establishment and the media will double down against America in the court of public opinion. In other words, the truth in this scenario is that the war for liberty cannot be won by defeating the woke. That's an ideology and a phantom. The establishment has set it up this way so that they can set up Americans for condemnation at every turn and every move. A victory in the streets against the woke by Americans is a victory in the press globally against America for the establishment. So the real enemy is not the woke. They're a front, an ideology, like fighting the war on crime or the war on terror. The truth is the establishment is now waging war against the American people. That's the enemy. All the efforts to confront the woke are nothing more than a distraction and further justification for the establishment to demonize honest, loving, or freedom-loving Americans. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, welcome back to The Brian Hyde Show. I am so glad you could be a part of my audience today. And if you want to join the conversation, you are more than welcome to do so. 801-331-8113 is the number. So let's continue on talking about what it means to be woke. And, you know, I, I there's a part of me that wants to get sarcastic and maybe even a little bit smarmy. And, oh, these people who are so woke, you know, and they're, they're, they're just so obnoxious. Ah... Uh, but I don't know that that's productive. I don't know that that actually does anything to advance understanding. And, and I got to tell you, I, I had a conversation about a year and a half ago 
with some individuals who I think would very much qualify as being part of the woke crowd. Not in the sense that they were rioting, not in the sense that they were threatening anybody, but um, I'm choosing my words carefully because, I, I, again, I don't want to reduce them to just a one-dimensional character. But people who were very aware of every possible way in which others might be offended. That fair enough? Okay. I mean, I'm trying to be diplomatic, but you know what I'm talking about? Uh, people with whom um, going out and confronting oppression in some way, shape, or form is, is part of a, you know, that's part of their daily routine. In the conversation that I was having with them, and it was a very productive one, it was part of the Better Angels Foundation and, and one of their, uh, their get-togethers, they had six of us who would be, I guess, you know, typecast as we were, you know, very firm conservatives versus six people who were very firm liberals. Now, we found out there was nuance throughout both sides. Not all the conservatives were in lockstep, neither were all of those on the liberal side. But when we had a chance to ask questions of one another, one of the things that came up was the question, what have you experienced that has led you to believe the way that you do or to embrace it, you know, with, with the passion that you do? And it was so interesting because initially, and it was, it was primarily, this was a question that was asked of those who were on the left. So what have you experienced? What have you seen that influenced you to think this way? And the answer immediately was nothing. But as we talked a little bit further and gave them a chance really to, to say what was on their mind, it turns out every single one of them had experienced something that, uh, that involved legitimate pain. They had seen examples of people being unfairly characterized or, or persecuted or, or discriminated against, and it, uh, it caused them enough pain that it actually made them an activist of sorts. And I'm not trying to say that in a, in a pejorative sense. My point here is just simply, it wasn't just some wild-eyed, crazy, evil notion they woke up with one day, I'm going to control everybody and make them feel guilty. There was some real human suffering behind why they felt the way that they did. Now, the goal of that meeting wasn't to go around changing each other's minds, but just simply to understand that differing viewpoints can in most cases coexist without reality shattering like somebody unplugged the, the matrix. But what we see happening around us right now, I don't know, it's unlike anything I've seen in my life. There's a terrific article from newdiscourses.com. James Lindsay is the author. And it asks the question, what is the woke breaking point? Listen to how he explains it. He says, almost everybody has a woke breaking point, a point of peak woke, or at least they should. There should always be a line that once crossed signifies to someone that the ostensibly good or noble thing that they currently support has soured or, as the case may be, gone completely bad. We all know the history of the 20th century, or so I delude myself into believing, he says. Certain features of the woke ideology, even if only on its extreme fringe, show shocking potential for being a totalitarian nightmare unfolding before our eyes, especially because so many good and decent people so vigorously and viciously support it all of a sudden. Even the rapidity with which it is spreading is disorienting and thus alarming. He says, I realized the importance of establishing a woke breaking point the other night while discussing the bizarre defenses of our current era with a brilliant friend. 
We were talking about the people in our lives who have hit their woke breaking points and those who haven't. And he said, it struck me that many of the people in my life who remain sympathetic or outright denialist about the excesses of the woke, by which he means critical social justice movement, haven't qualified with the, haven't grappled rather with the uh, possibility that it isn't quite the noble and necessary cause that it sells itself to be. And he says, what I realized is how very helpful it is for people, rather than becoming confrontational, to encourage their woke sympathetic friends to start identifying and naming what their non-negotiable lines will be. Now he points out here, people's lines will and should vary, but as things get increasingly extreme, they will also get crossed more and more certainly. Knowing the line has been crossed, however, takes knowing there is a line and where that line is. So the question to pose then is simple enough. What would it take for you to say that the woke movement has gone too far? Now he asks, why should you ask this? And then he answers two reasons, given how out of hand the movement already is. First, people should be asked to grapple with the idea that things could possibly go too far or that they already have. Second, in circumstances like these threaten to be, everyone should stake out at least some tentative line that their current principles will not let them cross. And they need to do this before they've already crossed it and been forced to defend that which they currently find indefensible. This simple act of getting people to commit to their principles before they let them slip is of tremendous importance and use because of how we process our moral reasoning. We do this by post hoc rationalization, meaning that we lawyer ourselves into believing we acted morally after act, which often means we've already crossed the line. Drawing a clear line ahead of time, especially in a social context where accountability weighs in, makes it that much easier to see the line bright and clear, and that much harder to cross first and rationalize after. He says to get real about this, you shouldn't expect this conversation to go well. It might, of course, depending on the relationship but it's very likely to be received defensively or with an assumption that you've lost your mind. So here's some advice. He says, don't expect it to go well. Don't expect them to come around. Don't expect them to take you seriously. Just get the question out there where they have to think about it. You don't have to push the issue, and you shouldn't. If you meet resistance, it's best not to argue or damage your relationship, and you should know you won't have to. There's no need to force it. You can ask the question and then just leave them with it. The question will bother them basically forever if they refuse to play and let it. Let it do its work. It's far more important for them to grapple with it than it is for you to get an answer to. Then again, they may want to explore and engage, and that's even better. This reminds me so much of the advice that Paul Rosenberg who is one of my favorite writers, has, has been giving for years. How to speak to the brainwashed. First of all, recognize all of us are brainwashed to some degree. Secondly, recognize that oftentimes there is legitimate pain behind why a person believes the way that they believe, which doesn't necessarily mean that they are right, but simply that if you want to engage them, and I mean for the right reasons, not because you're there to change their mind or dominate them, but because you sincerely care about him, then you have a duty not to bring more anger into the situation. So Paul's advice would be speak the truth with love, 
take their hits if that's what they're inclined to do. If they lash out and you know want to blow up and you know go guerrilla mode to to try and shut you down, just walk away. All you're really trying to do is plant a seed. And if you don't force it on them, if you allow them to come to an understanding on their own terms, there's a very good likelihood that they will be back at some future time. And at the very least, they may say, I see what you were saying. I don't agree with it, but I still see what you were talking about. Maybe in a strange twist of fate, they'll tell you, actually, I can see your point of view and I agree with your point. What? Don't laugh. Stranger things have happened. Let's take a quick break. If you have some thoughts on this, clarification, rebuttal, whatever it may be, 801-331-8113. We'll be back right after this. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back. This is the Brian Hyde Show. That would be me. Thanks for listening to us on the Loving Liberty Radio Network as well as K Talk 1640 AM. Let's open up the phones, 801-331-8113. I believe I have Jared on the line with me. Hey, Jared. Hey, Brian. Looks like that Mark of the Beast stuff is starting to look pretty real. Can't buy or sell without your mask. Do this, do that, jump here. We're just submitting, my friend. They are submitting us. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to come to grips with it myself. I don't want to be, I, I don't want to go out there and, and pick fights with anybody, nor do I want to be bullied. But I'm not going to wear the mask, so I don't know what no. I'm going to do. Well, you could go shopping in Tooele County. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather, I'd rather stand on the. I, I don't want to do any of this. Uh, one more thing for me to do, but we have to stand. We have to do something. We have to wake up these slaves we call our neighbors because they are the problem. They are the ones that would be on your jury. They are the ones that would tattletale on you. They are the ones that feed the police. Oh, speaking of police, politicians, the two Ps, I'm thinking my sign will say, don't feed police and politicians, and then in red letters at the bottom, <laughs> then they can't hurt you. Wow. No, I'll stand uh, out in front of Winco and just hold that sign until somebody gets triggered. Okay, so I have to ask you, though, the, the mask requirement, as I understand it, at least uh, here in, in our home state of Utah, is just Salt Lake County, is it not? Yeah, that's my understanding. That's unfortunately where I live. Okay, well, in that case, let me invite you to Utah County, because well, I don't I think we have that. the same requirement. I, I do see a lot more masks, though. I was out yesterday at the grocery store, and, uh, yeah, there were there were plenty of people wearing them. Mm-hmm. My cousin works in a hospital, you know, training to be a nurse, blah, 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 blah. Her mom wears scrubs, too. They don't have any COVID cases on their floor. She's either a Riverton or Murray. Yeah, I think this one. this is one of those cases where, uh, you know, I, am I going to get in trouble for using this comparison? But uh, you're going to have to sit at the count, the lunch counter that's meant for the masked folks. You're going to have to drink from the drinking fountain that's, for, that's meant for the masked folks. You're going to have to use the restroom that's meant for the folks with masks and mm. uh, take the front of the bus, even though uh, you're mm. supposed to be getting to the back. 
Stop being so uppity. Oh. Yeah, uppity, there's the word. Yes, very 14th Amendment of you. Yes. <laughs> I get you, I get your point though. I think I think peaceful civil disobedience is probably the the right way to do this. The question is and how I, how long will it remain peaceful? I totally support people's property rights. If Winco wants to say you can't come in here without a mask, that's fine. But Winco isn't normally saying that. They are cowards. Everyone's a coward. Everyone's been doing what they're told since kindergarten. They don't even know the, their own the, 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 the laws, the codes, the UCC stuff, the corporate bylaws. This is total color of law. This is Simon Says. Well, and, and the thing I've watched over the last couple of days, how many politicians have wet their finger and stuck it up in the air and went, oh, oh, I wear a mask too. And you should, I mean, it's, it is the ultimate in pandering and virtue signaling. And, and again, if you wear a mask, I'm not telling you you shouldn't, but I'm saying, can't you see that people are trying to, to, to manipulate and, and appease, uh, you know, the voters, pander to them? Well, it's like a battered wife. We uh, we can't get a divorce. We keep coming back for more. Voting, vote more. Vote harder. Hit me again. I deserved I that. Yes. <laughs> All right, Jared. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate the call. I I will tell you. For those who say, well, he sounds like he's taking a pretty hard line. To some, I I don't doubt it feels that way. But Jared has been one of the most courageous and consistent people who will defend liberty anytime, any place, and, and not because, you know, he's, he's trying to impose, you know, liberty on every, your will be free. He is just trying to wake people up and he's willing to, to live outside the comfort zone and say things that uh, a lot of us won't because we just want to be polite and we want to all get along. But he's right in the sense that the writing is on the wall. Something is going on right now that cannot be sustainable. Not if you want to ever uh, consider the possibility of your grandchildren or their children enjoying even a fraction of the amount of freedoms that you and I have enjoyed. I know it's it's well you're arguing the slippery slope. Yeah, I think I think I'm pretty sure we're on the slippery slope right now. And the question is, when do we pass the point of no return? I want to come back to this article too about the the woke breaking point. I think this is a very viable tool. If you encounter someone who gets triggered and who's, you know, uh, you know, showing themselves to be very woke, ask them the question. What was or what is your woke breaking point? What's the line in the sand that you would not cross in that quest to be woke? And then just let them think about it. Again, the author here, I think it's uh, James Lindsay. He talks about uh, how he and his friend discussed some of the breaking points that were crossed for them and then for also people they knew. And he says, for me, it was something between seeing unfair witch hunt like haranguing applied to public figures that he respected, like falsely accusing them of racism and sexism, the subversive manipulation of language. And especially, he said, the brazen attacks on science coming from both the activist and scholarly communities around critical social justice. Now, James Lindsay said this happened for him a few years ago. For his friend, it was the undeniable real racism and blatant double standards at the heart of much of the woke activist enterprise. For some of our friends, the public defense of riots in woke language like whiteness is my property or whiteness is property. So it's okay to burn down a business was a bridge too far. 
and for others it was being bullied into an allyship that's never good enough. For so many more, it's just the outright racism. And he says, of course, I also hear from people citing the tearing down of statues, including George Washington's, people losing their jobs or being afraid to lose their jobs, shut down STEM, people's relationships falling apart, including otherwise healthy interracial marriages in particular, and a wide variety of other clear signals that things have gone too far with this moral panic and the bad ideas rising to prominence within it. He says, for more and more people, these just need to stop. So ask your friends the question, what is or was your woke breaking point? Where did they cross the line for you? And even though the conversation won't go well, don't be afraid to ask about this directly because this is important. Get specific if you need to. Ask, whose statue has to come down? Seriously, whose is the last straw? Abraham Lincoln? Martin Luther King Jr.? Whose? What freedom has to be stripped? Due process of law? Free speech? The right not to suffer cruel and unusual punishment? Ask them, when is enough enough? Who has to get canceled? Fired? How many people have to lose their livelihoods? How overt does the racism have to become? How many people have to humiliate themselves in anti-racist struggle sessions? Who has to be doxxed, destroyed, beaten up, killed? Does it take a public lynching or would it take horrors we believed we left behind in the darker chapters of the 20th century? Where is the uncrossable line between here and there? He says these questions have to be asked. There's something we've had the genuine privilege of not having to ask ourselves in a long time, and it seems like we've forgotten. Now they have to be asked. He says, for one friend of his, the line is at real violence, whatever that means in the present era. Maybe it's the kind the media isn't spinning excuses for. Maybe it means with firearms. It seems uh, not to include the skyrocketing violent crime rates, though. At least it's a line. At least he's thinking about it. Another, a scholar, said the obnoxious perversion of his own academic field would be his last straw. Now, that's a bit fuzzy, but at least it's a line and one that seems to fall short of violence. Violence, he even said, wouldn't be acceptable. And he's already very uneasy with the property damage and general mayhem. At least he's thinking about it. But maybe it has to hit closer to home. Ask, where is the line? Would it have to be personal? Do they have to be personally denounced a racist, subjected to an anti-racist struggle session, fired? Would it take destroying the thing they love, their family, their kids, their job, their career, their hobby, their life's passion? What is it? What's too far? James Lindsay says we have to start asking, and it hardly matters if their breaking point is something selfish. People need to grapple with this, even if all they can think about is themselves or their closest friends or families, at least they're thinking about it. He says, again, the goal of this intervention isn't to get people to change their minds. It isn't even to get them to believe something horrible might be happening is likely to happen later or even plausible in the current situation. It's about getting them to engage with their principles now before the machinations of motivated reasoning lead them eventually to excuse what they would as of now see as inexcusable at least until it happens. So I'm thinking this might be good advice, not just for the social justice types, but maybe for all of us. What do you think? We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about why fake news is always fake news. 
Actually, why news is always fake news. A great commentary from Isaac Morehouse, just the other side of these messages. Hey, welcome back to The Brian Hyde Show. 801-331-8113. All news is fake news. I know, that sounds provocative. And I suppose it's meant to. It's a very attention-grabbing headline. But Isaac Morehouse, in an article that was published on everythingvoluntary.com, has something really worth considering. And I, I mention this because I assume the reason you listen to voices like mine is because you're trying to get a little bit better understanding of the world around you. It's not easy to do. There are a lot of different narratives out there competing for your attention and your allegiance. And there's a lot of stuff that's uh, it's intended to deceive. So here's how Isaac Morehouse sums it up. He says, there is infinite information in the universe. Anytime you select a tiny slice of info and focus on it, you are creating a story that is different from reality itself. And I love the example that he used. Imagine a movie sliced into a million still screenshots. Say it was impossible to watch the movie. Your only way of, of interacting with it was with these screenshots. If you picked three of them and, they pre and presented it to you, if someone actually picked three of them and presented that to you as the truth of this movie, three screenshots out of a million, they'd be wrong even if the screenshots weren't tampered with or substituted for fakes. If the person presenting the facts of the movie to you had an axe to grind or wasn't so scrupulous about accuracy in screenshots, it would be even worse. But Isaac Morehouse says the main point is that even if trying to be accurate, any version of the movie selected from a few microsecond still frames will present a story that's incorrect. So once you realize this, you can select your own slices based on what helps you achieve your goals. It may not be any more accurate in terms of explaining the real movie, but none can be. So you might as well choose slices that help you. Better yet, you could stop worrying about figuring out the right version of this movie from the past and start creating your own story going into the future. News, he says, is a specific view of reality. It's always wrong. Worse, it's usually bad for your health and sanity. Choose better slices of reality, and he says, your reality will improve. I think that's a pretty slick way of looking at it. Let's go back to the phone, 801-331-8113. Hello there. Hi, how are you doing, Brian? I'm well, thank you. Two things. First is, it's a breath of fresh air to hear you on the radio. I had to travel up to Salt Lake uh, from southern Utah. Oh, very uh, nice. you on the radio down there. Uh, you and I are about the same age we've talked before, and both conservatives. Here's what I have gained a little bit of knowledge of over my years of being on this earth. And I hate hypocrisy. I, at least as a conservative, for most conservatives that have a conservative view, we are consistent, like your previous caller, you, you said something about him that kind of resonates. He fights for liberty, whether it would be from for a liberal or for a conservative. He consists on that, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Now, what I have seen from liberal individuals is that's not always the case. And I'd like to give you an example. 
uh, in the CHAZ zone, or the CHOP zone, whatever they're calling it today, they go in, they occupy that area, they barricade things off to keep police from coming in there. And then they are appalled when the police do not show up or fire and rescue does not show up because someone is shot and killed. That, to me, is hypocrisy. Another one, just another example here, black lives matter. They do matter. Black lives do matter. But really, all lives matter. And so, if, but if you were to say that as a, as a conservative person to, to a liberal person, that all lives matter, they get really offended. Oh, yeah. Words mean things. Words mean things. The word all is inclusive. It doesn't exclude blacks. It doesn't exclude greens. But it includes everyone. That is my frustration with liberalism. Is there, it, 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 it's hypocrisy at, at its finest is what I think. Just my thoughts and views. So thank you for the whole two sentences word. Very well said and great to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We miss you in Southern Utah. Sure. Hey, I'm working on getting it on down there. I'm working on it, so. At least, do you think you'll be streaming it at some point? Um, uh, let, let me, uh, I'll just tell you and I'll tell the rest of the audience. Uh, I have, have been in talks with uh, two of the big AM stations down there where, where I formerly worked. And we Great. have approval from their corporate office. Um, they're just waiting for approval from their local manager. And uh, we'll start, they'll start carrying my show on the weekends. Fantastic. Great to hear. Yeah. Good talking to you. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. Ah, that was a pleasant surprise. Ah, sorry, I'm just kind of I'm kind of basking in a little uh, little bit of happiness there. I'd, I'd love to see that uh, that I still have friends uh, there in the southern part of the state, very beautiful part of the state of Utah, and uh, it's always always good to to reconnect. All right, where were we? Oh yes, liberty. Let's talk about this a little bit. Great article from Kent McManigal. This, too, was on uh, everythingvoluntary.com. If you haven't subscribed to get their emails on a regular basis, I think they show up at least five, maybe six nights a week in my inbox. There is always something very thought-provoking and noteworthy. And and it's different. This is not just like, you know, these are, I, I don't want to insult, you know, the, the mainstream pundits, you know, the uh, Ben Shapiros and Sean Hannity's and so forth. They have something to offer, too. I really love these folks on everything voluntary because there is a depth to their way of thinking that I don't really find in a lot of the, the, the mainstream media. And that would include even Fox News as well as CNN. There's, just, there's, there's a lot less bumper sticker slogans and a lot more original thought. I always feel like I, I've, I've found a little a nugget of truth in every single article that I read from them. And so I recommend it to you. Everything-voluntary.com. All right. Back to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Back to the phone. Um, yeah, I think everyone uh, just doesn't need to comply anymore. Blow it off. <laughs> I'm only laughing because that's, that's kind of that's the attitude I've quietly been wrestling with in my heart. I'm just going to have to blow this off. I don't think you should wrestle with it. I think you should embrace it. It's uh, it's a joke to watch anymore. And uh, I really hope people got it. You know, I- I'm still amazed. You know, here you had Tim Alders running down there in uh, Provo against the establishment, and uh, he he lost unfortunately. Tim I- Tim I is a good guy. 
Hey, you know what? You, you, if Provo City is a sanctuary city, we can't have that. You know, we need, we can't have sanctuary cities. You know, you, you need to come into the country correct. You need not expect handouts. I mean, okay. Now I, I, I want to put your commitment to to uh, you know consistency and principle to the test here. How would you feel about, uh, for instance, those counties that have said, we are a Second Amendment sanctuary, and if a state enacts stricter gun control laws, well, in this county, we're going to be a sanctuary where those laws will not be enforced. Is that acceptable or no? Actually, I don't even think there should be sanctuary Second Amendment counties. You should not, it shouldn't even be an issue. I'm not for the concealed weapon permit. Um, I don't think you should have that. I, I don't think... Everyone walking the streets here that's a citizen of the United States is guaranteed that right by God. And I don't think anybody, any county, any municipality, any city council should change that. That's how I feel about that Second Amendment sanctuary. Well, I I agree with you on that, Rob, but unfortunately there's guys like Governor Northam who uh, have run roughshod over that and, you know, kind of forced others to step up and say, well, it's not going to happen here. Well, you know, you're going to have to not comply. I mean, the criminals aren't complying with that. Right. Concealed weapons permit. I mean, it's, I mean, what what, what part, when do we say no more insanity? That is the golden question right there. I'm going to stop you here, Rob, because I'm up against the clock, but, that's the question every one of us has to answer for ourselves. Where do I draw the line? Where do I say no more? And what does that actually look like? Now, that's not the kind of thing you're going to want to be making up, you know, uh, off the cuff. You're going to want to have a good uh, heart-to-heart with yourself and know what do I stand for. When would I part with polite society because this matters enough? I'm going to urge you, go to my show notes at lovingliberty.net. There's an article there called Respecting Liberty Will Still Work. The idea being that liberty, which is freedom tempered with responsibility, can solve virtually all the problems we encounter to the extent that they can be solved. Kent McManigal says, exercise your freedom to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't violate the equal and identical rights of any other person. There's no better way to live among others, he says. Try it, (laughs) and I think you'll agree. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 